Uh, thank you very much for, uh, for doing that. I know it was awkward. I know I had some visitors today, and so thank you for understanding with us. We, we appreciate that. Um, so this morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I knew my time would be limited. I didn't know how limited I would be uh, on my time, and so I, I thought of just directing our attention to... Um, uh, just, just to the scriptures in preparation for the Lord's Supper, sort of a, a meditation uh, about that, if, if you will. Um, and, and by the way, just would really encourage you over the next four Sundays, my sermons are all written. Uh, the elders have read them. I had faculty at, uh, I've, had, I've had two other pastors in town read them. And um, so, um, you know, there's just kind of finely tuned sort of things. They'll feel like all my other sermons. Um, except next week might be a little bit different just to the content wise, but just pray for us for love and unity through this process. Uh, I think it's going to be good for us. I'm excited for what the Lord has for us. So in uh, directing our attention to, um, <clears throat> uh, to the Lord's Supper, I want to look at Luke's account of when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper from Luke chapter 22. And uh, these verses are really appropriate for us this morning because... Uh, we see Jesus taking his disciples through a transition. Like us at Rock Valley Bible Church, there's a, a transition we are thinking of about, about changing a little bit the way we do church membership, from informal membership to more of a formal membership, to really think through uh, how, that's, how that's done. Uh, but the transition that Jesus took his disciples through was a transition from the Passover to the Lord's Supper. If you have an ESV Bible, you can see right at the top of there, it says, Institution of the Lord's Supper. And that's what it was. Uh, it's the time when Jesus began the Lord's Supper. And, and from that moment on, from that day on, uh, the, the church for 2,000 years has celebrated the Lord's Supper in accordance with what Jesus said. But, but one of the things that's often missed in, in this institution of the Lord's Supper is it's really not so much a, a start of the Lord's Supper as much as it is a transformation, a, a transition from the Passover to the Lord's Supper in other words, Jesus took the Passover celebration, which focused upon its, the victorious deliverance that Moses led Israel out of, a freedom from slavery in Egypt, and set them on a course to the, the promised land. And Jesus changed the Passover so that we ought no longer to think about the Passover in Mosaic terms, think about Moses, but we should think about it in terms of Jesus. Not to celebrate Moses, but to celebrate Jesus. My message this morning is entitled, then, Our Lord's Last Passover. This was the, the last Passover He had, and really the last Passover there was to be, as it was fulfilled in Jesus. We read in verse 14, And when the hour had come, Jesus reclined at table and His apostles with Him, and He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread when he had given thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this and remember to me. And likewise, the cup. After they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Then the warning comes, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. 
For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. They began to question one another, which of them could it be who was going to do this? Um, first point this morning, and I, I messed up on my outline, like there's one over another, but I think you'll forgive me with that. I don't know what happened there. Preparation for the Passover. And we see that in verse 14. This verse mentions the hour. When the hour came, often we think about the hour as the hour of the death of Jesus, the hour of the suffering of Jesus. And, and indeed it is. And in, in some regards, Luke is referring to the fact that his suffering is coming. This is hour, this is time. But particularly, though, here it denotes that it's a, the Passover meal. You know, a few weeks ago, Gary rang his bell for us on Christmas. To hear the bells of Christmas Day. I want to show you a real bell. <laughs> a real, this is our dinner bell. And it's almost as if the hour had come. It is, it is time for dinner. And that's what's being talked about here. And I got this bell from Nepal. I said to Bob Clinton, let's find the loudest bell we can. And uh, that's what we have. It's the hour to eat. I think our kids can hear that from all the way across our whole neighborhood. It's so loud. But that's what happens. The hour came. It's the hour to eat. And as most of you women know, <clears throat> do most of the cooking in your houses. Um, maybe some of you men who do most some cooking know as well that, that, that you can't have a meal without a lot of preparation. And Jesus knew that, and he went to great lengths to prepare for this moment. You look back at verse 7. Here's the preparation for the Passover. They came, then came the day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepared there. And they went and found it just as he told them, and they prepared for the Passover. This is how Jesus prepared. He sent John and Peter ahead of the rest of the apostles and to prepare it. Now, he didn't tell them where. I believe in some regards that lest Judas know exactly where it was going to be to tip uh, the Pharisees didn't know where, but it was going to be someplace because Jesus had to have this meal. They were to go to Jerusalem, find this man carrying a pitcher of water, speak to him, and going to show you the room, and then you prepare it there. And so I'm not sure what kind of cooks Peter and John were, but I trust that they were, were good cooks and the meal was good and it was all set. The, the table was set for 13 people as the apostles, the disciples, whatever they're identified as apostles there in verse 14. It's the 12 disciples plus Jesus. These men would have prepared at least three ingredients uh, required in Exodus 12. A lamb for a sacrifice. The unleavened bread because the Lord's people left in haste. They didn't have time to have the bread rise. And the bitter herbs because the time in Egypt was a, a difficult time. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, just all these things are all symbolic. You know, so lamb was the, on the menu that night. And the unleavened bread was there. When Jesus broke the bread, it's because it was there. That's what they had. Um, with the, the drinks that were there, it's just the common drink of the day. Uh, a lightly fermented wine would have been there, fermented grape juice. And, and um, on top of that, the biblical requirements, we know that was there, but there may have been some traditional requirements uh, with that, that the Jews do today. 
Like Jews have green vegetables, and then they have a, a mixture of apples, nuts, and cinnamon, which represent the, the mortar that the Hebrew slaves used and built. And the tradition of the Passover meal are rich and interesting. And at times at Rock Valley Bible Church, I'm kind of thinking towards doing it again this Easter, we have a Passover meal at uh, Rock Valley Bible Church to help you understand what kind of meal Jesus was had, had when he had the, the Lord's Supper. Because all this was, was, was traditional according to what the Jews had done. They'd done this for 1,500 years. And, and this, these meals and this preparation all pointed back to Moses. And if you go to a, a Passover meal, a Seder meal was called, if you go to one of them, it will radically transform your perspective of the, of the Lord's Supper and really what it is and what it was about that Jesus transformed. I might compare it a little bit to Christmas and Thanksgiving combined. Christmas in the sense that it's anticipated for a long time and, and kids are super excited about it. And there, there's like this, this week-long celebration. So it's a long celebration. And Thanksgiving in the sense that this was like the best meal the Jews ever had. It was the, the time when you feasted and you, you enjoyed the time greatly. And, and I'm sure that Jesus had this meal with the disciples for, for several years. They were together for three years. They had a Passover, the biggest Jewish holiday. I'm sure Jesus ate the these same meal with the disciples. There's a preparation of the Passover. And now we have the anticipation of the Passover um, coming in really verse, verse 15 is the key verse here. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And the King James translates it literally like the Greek does. It says, with desire, I have desired to eat the Passover. Uh, it's a common way, the Hebrew way of, of speaking things with great force. Like when God spoke to Adam in the garden, from any tree in the garden you may eat freely. That literally in Hebrew, it's eating you may eat, right? The picture, there's just abundance. And he says, but the, from, the, from the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Or in other words, dying you shall die. And that's what Jesus is saying here. With desire, I have desired. Or you might translate this, that he greatly, greatly, greatly longed to eat this meal with his disciples. I mean, longing, desiring, a little bit, again, this Christmas theme, like kids longing for Christmas because they know what's going to happen on, on Christmas morning to open their presents. You say, why did Jesus say that he desired the, the meal so much? I think, first of all, he, he loved the Passover holiday. As, as a child, he grew up celebrating the, this blessing to God's people. Like the Sabbath day was a day of blessing, and this Passover day was a day of great blessing. And, and as Israel remembered the redemption that Moses that Moses led out of the time of, uh, of slavery under the tyranny of the Egyptians. Um, it's a time of, of the entire nation reflect upon the goodness and greatness of God to Israel and a time of great fellowship with other people. And, and I think Jesus, as any good Jew, would have loved that national celebration, like Thanksgiving, right? When the whole nation takes a day off and, and we eat and we feast in Thanksgiving. And this was, right, eating and feasting and Thanksgiving to God and what He did and redeeming Israel this feast, though, wasn't just one day like Thanksgiving. It was a, it was a whole week long where they, no one worked in the nation. I mean, this is like, like Walmart closes on Christmas Day. It's kind of like that for a whole week. And some of you who are older remember the days when stores were closed on Sundays. It's like that for a whole week long. It's a great day of celebration. Jesus loved the, the holiday. He loved his disciples. He knew this was the last time that he would be with them. Verse 16 and, and 18, he says, I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
And then we see one round of cups come in verse 17, giving thanks, just one round of cups. And, and if you go to a Seder meal, there's several rounds of, of these cups going around, and there's, there's toasts, and there's feasts, and blessed be God. And just when Jesus took the cup, it was just another one of those cups that went around. But also then, in, in verse 18, he says, I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes he loved his disciples and he knew his days on earth were short. He knew this was the last time that he would eat with them. It's like a farewell meal before you go on a long journey. And he was longing to have that meal because he loved his disciples. He knew clearly what was ahead of him. He knew what it was ahead of the disciples. He knew the suffering that would, would come and, and the difficulties to come. But he's trying his last bit of effort to prepare his disciples for his leaving he loved the holiday, he loved his disciples, and he loved the church. He loved the church, he loved us in the sense he's taken this Passover meal, transforming it to be the Lord's Supper, really for us, that we might remember Jesus. Right, just as God gave the meal to remember Israel's redemption from the land of Egypt when the angel of death passed over the homes where the blood of the lamb been applied to the lintels of the door, so Jesus right, is going to change this Passover. He's the Passover lamb that, that God will pass over you if you but believe in him, would edify Christians for years and years to come. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it should be an edifying time for us. We reflect upon what Christ has done for us. He is our genuine Passover. And now we get to the transformation of the Passover, which is really my whole point here. Is, is in taking this institution of the Lord's Supper, but it's really a, a transformation of the Passover. We see this in verse 19. <clears throat> and he took the bread, and he gave thanks. He broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And these words would have been startling to the apostles who heard these words. Um, Consider if I would do this. I, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands under me. Like, no, that's right. We're under God, right? But it just would have been like transformed, like changed. Like it would have been this word that comes. It's like, what? Do this remembrance of me? No, it's do this remembrance of Moses. And he's saying, no, it's me. And this is right where he's, he's transforming it. You know, today the Jewish people developed this elaborate ritual, the, the Passover. And here I have a, a Passover Haggadah written from right to left as, as Hebrew, Hebrew pages do. And um, this is from a, a liberal Jew today um, who, you know, just in their <clears throat> traditions of things, they, uh, the Haggadah means uh, to tell. Nagid means to tell or relate. And Haggadah is like the name of that, the story of the Passover. Um, and, and, and what, what this tells is kind of the story of Egypt. And, and I'm not sure if they had written Haggadahs at that time, but the story of Egypt would have been told. And uh, right in the midst of the meal, Jesus says, well, let's not do it here in remembrance anymore. Let's do it in remembrance of me. And he transforms this, this holiday away from God's redemption to Israel to God's redemption of the church through Jesus. And these words would have been startling. They would have noticed the change. They would have, the shock would have come into their minds when he says, do this in remembrance of me. Because he's saying, it's not Moses anymore. It is me. He changed the holiday, focusing it upon himself. 
And for us, we think about the Lord's Supper, it's always a time for us to remember Jesus. So you think about how often we can forget. We get so involved in life and other things, we forget our redemption that's in Jesus, where our only hope. You think about what do we remember? Well, we remember that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember that Jesus is the one who will judge the world in righteousness. Acts 17, verse 31. Remember that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. Remember Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 19, where we sing the Alleluia Chorus. Or if you're into the Messiah concert this past Christmas season, you're just saying King of kings and Lord of lords. Alleluia, the time when, when history commences or begins or ends, whatever, the climax of it. When Jesus, we remember Him, the, invi- the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus, the head of the church. Colossians 1, who's preeminent, who has first place in everything. It's what we remember when we remember Jesus. And, and I'm so struck by the, the symbolism of the Passover to the Lord's Supper. That if anyone would have written fiction and written a story of the world about a people redeemed, and about this holiday that was given to this people, um, there was no, no better story could have been told than with actual history, what actually happened. Because the, the Passover was initiated on the evening before the redemption of Israel, before they got out. So likewise, when Jesus transformed the, the Passover to the Lord's Supper, it was the evening before God's redemption of His people would take place as Jesus died on the cross. It was necessary the Passover lamb blood be shed. So the blood of Jesus must have been shed for us. The blood was sprinkled on the doorpost for protection. So the blood of Jesus is our precious blood that protects us. God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And that's what he does in Jesus, right? When we trust in him, he sees our belief and trust in the blood of Jesus and he passes over us. The angel of death was upon those without the blood. So the wrath of God is upon those apart from the blood of Christ. The Passover lamb was unblemished and spotless. So Jesus Christ himself is sinless and undefiled. And these parables are so secure and so clear that in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Paul calls Christ our Passover who has been sacrificed. Literally, Jesus transformed the Passover no longer is it to be done celebrating God's redemptive work in Israel. It is now to be celebrated in remembrance of the redemptive work of, of Jesus. And so now we, we celebrate the supper. It's very interesting as Luke ends it with giving the cup in remembrance of me in verse 20, the, the, cup, the, the bread in verse 19 rather, the cup in verse 20, this is a new covenant my blood. Then comes this warning though. One of the 12 disciples who had eaten with Jesus was a false disciple. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. They began to question with one another, which of them could it be who was going to do this? And so there is a time of self-examination that that comes here at the Lord's Supper. That even came at that Passover. And Jesus said, you know what? You you might all eat. That's all wonderful, right? But but there's one who's going to betray me. And so likewise with the, the Lord's Supper, the, the account is given in 1 Corinthians 11. You can turn over there and just listen. After saying, Paul said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. We've given thanks. 
He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death and until he comes. And we've heard this many times, most of us have, right? We eat the bread, we drink the cup, we're proclaiming Jesus until he comes. We're proclaiming the death. We're proclaiming our faith in Jesus until he comes. But then, just as Judas was to betray them, and there was a betrayer at hand, so likewise Paul gives this warning about how we need to eat in a worthy manner. Verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. You can eat this bread, drink this cup, as we are going to do here in a little bit, and bring judgment upon yourself if you don't discern things rightly. If you eat in an unworthy manner, you say, well, what's, what's an unworthy manner? I think, first of all, if you're not a believer in Jesus, it would be an unworthy manner. Because eating the bread and drinking the cup is a proclamation that says, I'm trusting in Jesus. And, and if you're not trusting in Jesus, and if that's not where your heart is, and that's not where your hope is, then that's something that you ought not to do. And so if the, the eating the meal doesn't save you, it's merely an expression of our faith in Jesus alone to save. So if this morning you're not professing your faith and hope in Jesus alone, well, when we pass the elements, just let them pass by. That's a way to eat in an unworthy manner. Another way is if you have some unrepentant sin. These in, in Corinth were were selfish, right? Looking only after their own things rather than looking after the things of, of others. And if you're unrepentant of some sins, maybe it's a time just let it let it go by. That's what Paul encouraged those to do in First Corinthians eleven. Maybe the things you're reading you shouldn't be reading or which you need to repent. Maybe the things you're watching that God hates. Maybe your attitudes towards other people, God hates that. There's some other sin that you have, you're harboring your heart. I just encourage you to confess it to the Lord and, and, and seek Him. That's what the Lord's Supper really is about. And, and either way, right, if you're not a believer today, it'd be a great time just to cry out to the Lord and say, God, I need you. I need Jesus. I need the forgiveness that's offered. And if some sin is in your life, you're struggling with that, just give it to the Lord. Just say, God, help me. I, I'm a sinful man. I need your help. I need your grace. And I celebrate the supper because my only hope is in Jesus, not my righteousness, because I know I've blown it and I know I need help and I know I need your grace. So as Paul says in verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And that's what we're going to do here in a few moments. Just going to give you a time you can bow your head. I just want you to think about your, your life and examine your life. Confess sin if need be. Cry out to Christ for salvation if need be. And prepare to really celebrate. What a great thing this is that we can celebrate Jesus. Our freedom and our liberation from slavery of sin and the bondage of sin and the guilt and punishment that sin deserves. I encourage you to cry upon Christ. And Lord, I would pray that as we to celebrate the supper this morning. Father, I pray that you would be with us, you'd help us, you'd be gracious to us as we express our thanks to you. 
God, as Jesus expressed his thanks for the, the body that was about to be crushed, God, we, we thank you for the new covenant which comes in the blood of Jesus, that covenant that promises washing and wiping away of all of our sins. Father, in that we do rejoice. I pray, God, this will be a time of, of communion that's special for us, that's helpful for us, it's grace-giving for us as we look to press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.